I knew tonight was going to be a good night when Kyung ordered the sandwiches. We've talked a lot about sandwiches, right? And then he gets in, he, he gets, he gets out of the car, comes in, he gets in the car, he opens the, the subway bag and he says, oh, we ordered six inch sandwiches. They gave us all footlongs. <laughs> so the man has an anointing for food. And you know, we were studying, actually we were studying, we were studying the early church yesterday morning in the office, and it says that they all broke bread together. And, and we thought, well, that could be communion, but you know, they probably just ate a lot, and we really like to practice that at Rick Bonfim Ministries, and, and Kyung is the man. Amen. So, well, all of you know that Pastor Kyung is full of gifts beyond finding food. But he does seem to have an anointing on it, so we like to talk about it. But we're grateful for Pastor Kyung and all that he contributes. It's, it, he's been a tremendous blessing. Well, we're going to be looking at this book by Black Bee on, on seeking revival. I mean, hallelujah. And uh, one of the things that we first started talking about when we looked at this is that you know, revival doesn't just have to be Brownsville or Azusa Street. It, I mean, it could just be in your own heart. A personal revival in your own heart. And, and so, I don't know about you, but I, I need one every day. You know, I mean, I need to wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, come and just revive me because without you, I'm not, you know, uh, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, sure, I could send some emails. I could do, you know, I, I could do the robotic things in life. But life, joy, you know, uh, helping my family get through their struggles, you know, uh, taking phone calls that are really weighty, and, you know, I mean, that, that requires the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to just empower us to minister to our families and to overcome life. Amen? And so we're looking for revival. Now, the interesting thing is, Pastor Rick said, okay, we're going to talk about revival. Now, John, teach on the judgment of God. Thank you, Pastor Rick. And but actually, man, as I as I studied this, these guys were really smart. And then I I was in the Word and then using these guys and in the Word and and man, it brought me a lot of joy, a lot of freedom to think about God as the judge. You know, of course, typically the the classical view of God as the judge. I had a cup of coffee uh, a little while ago after dinner, so I need to pace myself a little bit. <laughs> I got excited, right? I get too fast if I drink coffee. Well, the classic view of God as judge is that, you know, it's a, it, it's all about God pointing out what we did wrong, right? That that's the classic view. Um, most most of us in this room, I think, have overcome that. I know a lot of you, and and we've we understand God in in a much deeper sense. But that's the classic view, and and, and a lot of non Christians really criticize Christians that we are judgmental as Christians. Okay, and probably rightfully so. <laughs> you know, I think we've given some reason for that. You know, if you look at uh, church history and uh, things like that, and then um, and so then that that gets projected on God inevitably, and you know, so it's not fair to the Lord that we mess it up. Uh, but God is patient with us anyway. But this Bible study certainly doesn't think of of God as judge in terms only of thinking of sin. 
or telling us what's wrong about us. Um, if we read Psalm 9, and that's sort of the, uh, I guess, the foundational verse I want to look at. It's just a simple declaration. Psalm 9, verse 7 and 8. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. And so it speaks of God as one who will judge righteously, not crookedly or in a perverted way. He will judge correctly. And meaning that he will look at your life and he might see what you struggle with, but he will see all the great things too. And he will kind of work with us over here where we struggle, and then he'll cheer us on over here. Um, And so God is not simply looking at our sin or your sin and constantly telling us that we're no good. And so if you have that impression of God, then I just want to ask that the Holy Spirit would just break it, just completely break it, that that God is a the, the judgments of God are not about your sin. It's about looking at something and being able to accurately discern what is happening in that moment and take all of the information and then make a, make a judgment about it, make a decision. It's not about punishing. Judging is looking at it and then making a decision. And that's kind of what we do. I mean, David, you know more than me, right? You present all the information. You can't make a good judgment without information, right? You've got to have all the information. Well, God has all the information. I have literally none. You know, we, we have z- almost zero information compared to God. He is the only one who is in a position to judge well because he has all of the information. So, if we, so it takes faith to come to God and say, okay, God, I know that you are a true and good and righteous judge because you have all of the information You have the wisdom to take all the information of my life and all the lives in this world and be able to see what's going on and judge it. Judge it as good or bad, right or wrong. And so I I trust you, God, as the faithful judge. And it takes faith to come to that point. You know, thinking about, obviously, COVID, um, there's uh, there's a lot of YouTubers out there, right? YouTube can have some good stuff. Actually, Pastor Gene was talking about YouTube, and if you, there's some really cool guys who will, who will be at the island of Malta and talk about Paul's shipwreck. So he talked about YouTube, and there's some good things. Well, there's also some, some ones out there who claim that they know everything there is to know about COVID and how it happened and what it happened and who did it, and they have all of the answers. They have all of the information, and they have all of the answers about COVID. And... I just want to ask that if you run across one of those, be wary. Because we don't have all the information. We don't have all the information. Nobody does. God's the only one that has all the information and can judge it right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when uh, we were, when I was looking at this, this book came up. Brother David's book came up. Because he talks about, in the book... This, this passage in Luke 13, where a calamity happens. Two calamities are mentioned in Luke 13. And uh, 
you know, Jesus, Jesus has asked, um, or Jesus is talking with them, the disciples and some others, and he's saying, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than other Galileans because they suffered this fate? In other words, they were, uh, they were killed at the altar by some Romans, and their blood was mingled with sacrifices, and there's a, you know, a lot of history behind that and why it's so bad and everything. But something really bad happened to these guys. And so Jesus said, you think these guys are worse sinners than the others? And he said, I tell you no. In other words, not all, not all bad things are a judgment against sin. And then he says again, uh, do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so David says here, uh, such disasters are always a call to repentance, a call to turn back to God, to his mercy and his goodness. They are not necessarily a judgment of the particular individuals caught in the calamity. Rather, they are a sign of the coming judgment of all mankind. David touches on exactly what these guys touch on, that, that God's judgments are really divided into two primary ones that we're going to talk about. One is temporal judgment or judgment that happens in our lifetime. And the other one is eternal judgment, which uh, we're pretty familiar with where, um, you know, that's the sheep and the goats. You know, um, one goes this way or eternally separated from God and the other comes and is welcomed into the kingdom. Um, temporal judgments are ones, are corrections or punishment occur in this lifetime. And God does those. You remember uh, King David, Bathsheba, right? Uh, the sin of Bathsheba, then he has Uriah killed. And then the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, you're the one. You're the sinner. And David says, oh, my gosh. And so then Nathan says, there's going to be a consequence. Um, you know, your son's, going to, your son's not going to live. And David fasts for a week, and then the child dies. And then David has to pick himself. That was a temporal judgment, something that happened in this lifetime. Uh, also, when David uh, counted the fighting men, right, that was another one. And what was it, 70,000 people? were killed because God passed judgment and uh, released the punishment. And so that's a temporal judgment reminding David that he's got to be a man of faith. He can't, he can't trust in his own power and count how many powerful men he's got to see how big his army is. He's got to trust God. That's a, that's a difficult temporal judgment. Uh, most likely none of us will have to undergo something that severe. Praise God. Um, so... When it comes to revival, though, revival in our own hearts, responding to God, judgment is essential because without God's judgment, we don't know how to come to him with repentance. And that is the purpose of temporal judgment or judgment in our lifetime, is that we don't know how to come to God and repent without him telling us what we need to repent of. And it's not only sin. Sometimes it's repentance of, of thoughts that are not accurate. In other, words, in other words, we might have an idea about who God is that is totally wrong because we grew up that way, the church taught us this, or our family taught us that, or we made it up, or whatever. And so we think of God as, as this or that, and then God has to come and say, that's wrong, you don't know me at all. Let me show you who I really am. And then you have to repent of that. So that's a type of repenting. Uh, many of us might have a poor understanding of who we are, right? We have a low self-esteem. We think we're nobody. We're, 
We're down on ourselves. We're negative in our minds towards ourselves all the time. And so we have to repent of that and say, God, you know, I've got to start listening to you and what your word says about who I am. That's a repenting we have to do. So it's not just only repenting of sin. But sure, repenting of sin is part of it. But it's not just that. It's, it's repenting, saying, God, I, I need you to change my mind, transform my mind, do what you have to do. But help me to see it. And that's the judgment is dividing, helping you see it, helping you divide what you really need to be repenting of. Because half the time we're repenting of things that God doesn't even care about. We make it up, right? We make up the things that. You know, we have our our idea of what's wrong about us, and so we repent to God about that. And God is saying, you know, it's like uh, putting a Band-Aid on one soldier when one is bleeding over here. And God is saying, this is the one you need to look at, you know. <laughs> and it takes God's judgment. You, so that, am I helping you understand what I'm saying? Judgment is not looking at sin and making you feel bad about it. Judgment is saying, look at the bleeding soldier. I want to help you deal with that because I love you. That, that's judgment. Helping, then, then the Holy Spirit comes in and helps us to see that because we couldn't see it before. But in a moment, the Holy Spirit comes and we go, oh, in your mercy, you help me to see that I need to deal with something I didn't even know was there. I didn't even see it, God. I was totally blind to it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I mean, how many times on trips do we have... Have somebody after a trip, they send us an email or write us a card and say, such and such happened. And we didn't even know it, right? Half the time, we don't even know it because God does it. We just provide an atmosphere on a trip and try and teach the word and do the best we can to love on the people and, and, and give the word and pray for them and love on them and give an atmosphere for God to move. And half the time, we don't even know that God did it in somebody's heart. And then they write us a card and say, such and such happened and... uh and I want to say I'll never forget that trip because it was the best thing. And I, I never saw that before, but now my life's totally changed. Well, that's the judgment of God, helping them to see it. Okay, Because they couldn't see it. They, they didn't have the information. They didn't have the wisdom to see it. We don't half the time. So we need God to show it to us, to help us judge what is going on in our hearts and minds so that we can respond accurately. I like to say, I like to say that most of the time uh, we really can't even repent right. <laughs> you know? Okay, God, I'm going to repent. Well, I don't even know how to repent. You know, how am I, you know? I, I actually believe that's part of the reason that Jesus submitted to repenting uh, or to water baptism with John the Baptist uh, because it was a baptism of repentance. And so Jesus was repenting on our behalf because he knew that half the time we repent, we're not even doing it right. You know? <laughs> and, and that's okay. That's mercy that God would do that for us. It's not that it, God knows that. God knows our weaknesses. It, it's okay, but and, and so He's just looking for a broken and contrite heart to come before Him and say, "God, change me. God, do something. I need you, God. I want revival. But but if if you don't show me what needs to be changed, if you don't judge me to show me where I'm looking here, but really I need to look here, I'm lost. So come and show me, God. Show me that." That my my son is desperately in need here, and I don't see it yet. What's going on with my kids? What's going on with my spouse? What's going on with my family members? What's going on with my coworker? And I just haven't seen it yet, God. I got to see it, or else I, I can't be used by you. Help me to judge it. See how I'm going with the judging thing in revival? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs>
<laughs> Hallelujah. Let me get my notes here because I started preaching and I want to make sure that I. Uh, there's a few things I want to make sure I, I, I do touch on. All right. Now, when it comes to. Um, I, I touched on this a little bit, but when it comes to the idea of, of judgment. Um, we do have to distinguish between what is God's judgment um, versus the natural effects of sin and the devil's work. Okay, So those are different things. Um, and so I've touched on that a little bit, but we do have to be careful that we don't think that if because we're going through a hard time, that only means that God is trying to teach us something, right, or discipline us. Because it, be, it could be the devil's work in our life. It could be that... Uh, you know, well, let me put it this way. If I spend all my money and don't tithe and then my bank account overdraws, that's not God judging me. <laughs> that's a consequence of my own foolishness and sin, right? It's just that, you know, and so, <clears throat> but we've seen, I've seen that. I'm sure you probably have too. Like, you know, I can't hold down a job, you know, kind of thing. Well, what happened with your last job? I quit. Okay. God won't bring the right job into my life. You know, well, have you have you worked in the same job for at least a year? No. <laughs> so there, there there's some things that are just consequences of our own choices that we can't blame God for it. Right. We got to be willing to own up and say, OK, you know, that's yeah, I, I got to do a little better. Help me, God. And then there's the devil's work. And, you know, uh, we got to be careful with this one, because a lot of times we we blame God for what the devil's really doing. And that's a trick of the devil. Sneaky. He's just sneaky, you know. Trying to make us think that God is mad at us. And so this is happening. And really, he's just having a heyday. And so it takes God revealing that to us and saying, God, help me to be able to divide those things and distinguish when it's you. Distinguish when I'm doing something or others have done it to me and I'm blaming you for it or something like that. Or help me to see when the devil's and I, and I need to take authority. And rebuke it. So that's an important distinction. Um, a biblical example is the man born blind, John chapter nine. You know the man, um, and we won't read the whole thing. But a man was born blind. The disciples come and say, you know, was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? And you know, Jesus in his mercy gave them a clue and said, it's neither. And they say, oh, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, and he said, it's actually for the glory of God. And then we say, well, how is that just that God would have a man be born blind. And there again, we just don't have enough information to make the call. And I'll tell you one thing. That man doesn't care about his short pass on earth blind. He's in heaven looking down on us on us poor folks who have to deal with this lifetime until we get to be there because he's up there singing fourth part harmony with Jesus. Amen. You know? And uh, he's not blind anymore. Look at the book of Revelation. He's seeing colors that we've never seen before. I've... I was uh, my wife Tara was reading an article about how women's eyes have more of a particular type of cell that, and I don't remember what it's named, but it, it some type of receptor that is able to pick up more shades of color than men. So, you know, we have our our three primary colors, and then we have the colors of the rainbow. And I got to believe there's colors in heaven we've never even seen. Amen? That's going to be a lot of fun. 
Okay. So, uh, so let's move on. We have to distinguish between those, right? Um, and then also there's another thing, and this is where I really want to get into kind of the heart of God is, you know, there's a difference between God judging something and then delivering a punishment. Those are two separate things. Um, when God judges, he's sort of casting a verdict. That's, you know, sort of common language for us, right? He casts the verdict and then you give the sentence. And those, oftentimes those two things happen separately in our court system. And God's the same way. Sometimes he will cast a verdict and then he will give the sentence later, the punishment later. Um, or sometimes he just won't give it at all. Or he'll delay it. For instance, um, well, the two examples of King David, he gave the verdict and he gave a punishment right there. Okay, right back to back. But what about us? Well, let's look at Romans 3.25. Um, all of us have sinned and we're, and we're judged guilty. That's, that's not the verse. Excuse me, that's me um, and my notes. God withheld the serving of the sentence out of his great mercy until Jesus come, comes, Romans 3.25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. In other words, um, none of us deserve to have God's mercy, what we call in the Wesleyan tradition, provenient grace, the mercy of God, giving us a chance to repent and be forgiven of our sins. But he withheld the punishment of death until Jesus came, so that when Jesus took the full punishment, we can then be baptized in him, and so he delayed the punishment until Jesus came. And then the full punishment for all of humanity was released on Jesus. And we are released from that when we believe in Jesus. We are set free from the punishment, set free from our sins, and are given a new life in Christ. So oftentimes God will separate the punishment from the verdict. Even though you get a guilty verdict, he separates the punishment either, and he'll wait. Actually, um, uh, that happened with Moses. And the golden calf, you know, uh, Moses was up on the mountain and just having a glorious moment with God. And the people were downstairs building an idol, right? And so Moses comes down, sees what's happened. God's just so mad. He says, I'm, that's it. I'm done. I'm wiping them all out. And Moses intervened. And God did not deliver the punishment. He didn't deliver the punishment. So the ver Now, they were still guilty. They were still guilty. So the verdict was true. He did judge it guilty. But the punishment, and that is our God. That is God the judge. Now, that type of God, once you respond to him, revival starts happening in our hearts. Because then we realize that we have a God that is not crooked. He will judge fairly. But he does not issue punishments in a harsh way. He judges everything perfectly. But the punishments, he's, he's not looking to punish us. He's not looking to hurt us. He's looking to draw us back to him so that we can, so that we can live a life that's free. You ever heard that phrase, uh, forgiven, not free? You ever heard that? I've, you know, that person's forgiven, but they're not free. They're saved, but, they, but you know, they walk around feeling terrible about themselves or oppressed by their own sin or what they think is sin or whatever 
They're forgiven, but they're not living free. But see, God can come in as the judge and, and help us to divide those and bring us into a place where we can be free. So repentance, and then I have, um, I'm about out of time here. Um, I have that, that, and I don't, um, I don't want to be too formulaic here at all, because that's, that's not what it is. God doesn't really work that way, but um, uh, revival is directly connected to the presence of God. Okay, And that's out of uh, Acts uh, 3.19. If you see there, and that, that's one of the main verses that uh, Blackbee uses. We, we were looking at that verse yesterday morning, actually, um, as Pastor Rick was doing the teaching in the morning session. It says, repent ye therefore and be converted. So there's your repentance. That your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of of the Lord. Presence. Presence of the Lord. Now, the presence of the Lord is a lot of great things. I mean, it's joy, it's freedom, it's healing, it's blessing, but you know what else it is? It's His holiness. And the holiness of God is something that is um, not easy to endure. It's not easy to be in the presence of the holiness of God. You know, because revival is wonderful, you know, the the healings and, you know, read about the revivals, all the healings, all the wonderful things, all the salvations and everything is amazing. Um, But with the presence of God comes his holiness. And when his holiness comes in the room, sin is revealed, our limitations are revealed, our weaknesses are revealed. Just like when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, found himself suddenly in the throne room of God, and he realized he was really didn't belong there, <laughs> you know. Um, I think I have that here. Yeah, um, he says uh, in Isaiah 6, 5 and 6, I won't read the whole thing, 5 and 6, Isaiah sees this amazing vision of the throne room of God and the seraphim just with their wings and, you know, and just all the noise and all the activity going on in the throne room. And he says in verse 5, woe is me. In other words, he's in the presence of the holiness of God. So revival means the presence of God comes. But when the presence comes, so does the holiness. And when the holiness comes, it's like Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, that was a moment of him confessing, I'm in the wrong place. How did I... (laughs) I took... I got off on the wrong floor of the elevator <laughs> where yeah, I got off on the seventh floor <laughs> I think I was supposed to be in the basement <laughs> you know and but because of his awareness that he was in the presence of a holy God and that he was not worthy to be there God had mercy and so in verse 6 one of the seraphim flew to me having his hand a live coal which he'd taken with the tongs of the altar, you touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And when, that's what Jesus does for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we come and just confess to him, I don't, I don't deserve to be in your presence. Because when your presence comes, we're talking holiness. And that is a weight that we cannot endure without the forgiveness that comes from Jesus on the cross. And so it's simply by confession. 
It's only by confession and repenting and, and saying, I am not worthy to be here, but only by Jesus do I am I thankful that I get to be in your presence. And then revival can happen in our hearts. Now, that might, might, might spread to our families. It might spread to our church. We don't know. But one of the things that we are wanting to seek at Rick Bonfim Ministries is that, at the very least, we have revival in our own hearts, in our own lives. And judgment, the judgment of God, is part of revival. It has to be, because without it, we don't know how to repent, and, re- and the presence can't come. But we've got to have the presence of God. We want the presence of Jesus. Without the presence of Jesus, you know, we're, uh, we're hopeless. We're lost. And so I want the presence of Jesus in my life. And I know you, too, you do too. So I just want to uh, ask us to kind of go into a time where we come to the Lord. And maybe, maybe God was talking to you some this evening. And you realize, yeah, yeah I, I think I do need to change some of my ideas about God. Yeah, God, I, maybe I haven't been seeking that my heart be revived. I just want to have a time where we can ask God